Y'all ready? Ah, let me start by saying this. I do not understand one profession. Storm chasing. Hey, you guys know what that is? Now, maybe it's because I lived in the Philippines from 2011 to 2013, and I had my fair share of experiences of storms. Or it could be the fact that in 2013, I narrowly escaped. By narrowly escaped, I mean by two months. I escaped the largest typhoon that ever hit the Philippines. You guys know what that is? Typhoon Yolanda also known here as Typhoon Haiyan. Now, this was a Category 5 storm, Typhoon. Now, if you're wondering if there's a Category 6, there isn't. Five was it. So this is the most powerful storm that ever hit the Philippines, winds of 195 miles an hour. And what I could remember was this. There were aerial images over my dad's hometown where the, the storm that I, like, where it hit. And I just remember visibly seeing building after building after building, places where I had been personally just completely leveled. So I guess what you could say is I have a healthy fear of storms. I just don't get those storm chasers. But see, storm chasers aren't the only people who search after things that are greater and grander than they are. Have you guys heard of the documentary called Solo? It's about this free climber, okay? He went to El Capitan in California, Yosemite National Park, and he free climbed the entirety of that mountain, meaning without any ropes, without any safety nets. One wrong, you know, I can't do a climb, I don't know. One wrong hold, and he's... You get what I'm saying. Or there's that documentary on Netflix. It's about championship freedivers. So what they're doing is they're competing to see who can go the furthest down into the ocean without any tank of oxygen. That ain't me. I'm sorry. You're not going to find me trying to do that. Now, here's the thing. As I was studying and as I was actually just trying to understand human psychology, like why, what is it? What is it in humanity, in us as humans, that we just somehow desire for things that are greater and grander than us? Like, I don't even need to go too far. I just look at my child, like my my five-year-old son. I tell him not to do it, and, you know, it's like, you you tell him not to do it because it's dangerous, and he wants to go and do it. And that's something that's in us. Like, for example, I get it. Not all of us are going to go right to the edge of the storm, right? But when a storm does come, many of us, we open up our garage, we put on our lawn chair, we plop down, and we just watch the storm. Many of us, we're not going to go scale El Capitan. I ain't got the skill. But if I go to the Grand Canyon, if I'm on like a high rise, best believe I'm peeking over. I'm like, oh, you know, how far is that? Or swimming, right? Diving. We're not all going to go down deep into the depths of the ocean, but we can all appreciate the beauty and even the magnitude of waves that crash across rocks. There's something in us 
that desires for greater and grander things. But here's the thing. Whether it be one wrong hold, maybe you swam a little too deep, ran out of oxygen, got a little too close to the storm. You know, these are greater and grander things. And if we don't have the right kind of fear towards that thing, there's consequences. It can often be deadly, catastrophic. And so I want to kind of create that picture in your mind as we jump back into the text. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open with me to Exodus chapter 20. And if you are new here at Fielder Church, we've actually been going through the book of Exodus. We've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and for the last Three weeks, we've been in the Ten Commandments. So, hey, three weeks is a long time. And so we kind of need a refresher course of where we are and where we've been. So as you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, let me just go ahead and give you a recap of Exodus chapter 19. Okay, the chapter prior. Here's what happened. Israel is led by Moses. They're brought to Mount Sinai. And here they're encamped and they're about to meet with Almighty God. And what happens is God descends, his glory, his, his presence descends upon this mountain in fire. And, it's in, 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 and there's smoke and there's lightning and there's thunder. And he's on the mountain. And it, there's like this shaking that's happening. Why, why is there this shaking? Well, because God is holy. He's completely separate from his creation. He is God. They are frail creation. And here he is descending upon this mountain, ready to meet with his people. But there's something that Moses says. He says, hey, create this barrier around the mountain, lest if anybody comes too close, they will surely die. And so with that in mind, we pick up now in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 18. This is what the word of the Lord says. And when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in the Israelite shoes, best believe I'd be afraid too. Right? This is almighty God, the creator of the universe, having descended upon this mountain, ready to meet with his people. And yet... Moses' instructions to the people, what did he say? He said, don't fear, and I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, but fear, right? Don't fear, but fear. Now, it sounds kind of like a contradiction, but what is Moses really getting at here? Moses is really getting at the fact that, hey, God, he's powerful, he's mighty. He didn't come to kill you. He didn't come to get you. He's not after you, but you need to recognize. You need to have reverential Fear. You need to have reverence for the fact that Yahweh God, he's God Almighty. He is all-powerful and he is holy. He is completely separate from you. And so, with that in mind, how then are they called to 
approach. They need to recognize with reverence. I, I like to think of it this way. C.S. Lewis, do you guys know uh, the Chronicles of Narnia? Those of you online, if you know Chronicles of Narnia, put it in the chat. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. What did it say? There's, there, there's this part in the story where Aslan is coming and there's the daughter of Eve. Her name is Susan. She asks the beaver, she says this. She says, uh, she asked about Aslan, right? This Christological figure. And she asked, is he safe? Is he safe? And the beaver's famous response, what does he say? He says, of course he's not safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's good. He's not safe. He's not safe, but he's good. And God, Yahweh God, to Israel is the same thing. Think about it this way. Just, just go a few chapters prior. Nothing about the ten plagues that were on the land of Egypt in order to free them, right? The, the boils that were sent, the, the water turning into blood, the darkness, the hailstorm, the killing of the firstborn. None of that shows that Yahweh God is safe. But he sustained the people of God. He's good. When they were at the Red Sea, nothing about the Red Sea being parted and swallowing whole the armies of Pharaoh shows that Yahweh God is safe. But letting the people of Israel walk through shows that he's good. Nothing about this theophany, this, this is what theologians, it's just a fancy word, just saying of God making his manifest, ma ma manifesting his glory to them here in this mountain. Nothing about this, the, the thunder, the, the lightning, the smoke, the fire, the shaking, nothing about that says that Yahweh God is safe, but he's good. Safe, but good. One thing that we find here, even in the text, I, I was, it kind of caught my eye as I was studying, was the fact that this fire, God making himself known, it was enshrouded in a smoke. The, the people were afraid. But the thing is, is this smoke that was covering the flame was actually God's grace to them. If God had just shown up in full power and in full might, they would have been completely consumed, obliterated. And yet here God was. See, because God, again, God's not after the Israelites. He was never. And he's not after you. He wants an opportunity for him to draw near to us and you, us, to draw near to him. And so, what are we getting at here then? What's the big question? The big question is this, how can the Israelite people, how can we approach a holy and powerful God? If he is so powerful that the thing is shaking, that he's saying create a boundary, if you cross it, you'd be consumed. Like, how then? What's the solution? What's the answer for you and for me? Because here's the thing, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He remains holy. He remains all-powerful. So the big question that we need to answer is then how? How do we, as sinful people, approach a holy and powerful God? Well, 
I believe the text gives us the answer. We actually already read the first one, and it's this, that in order to come into the presence of a holy and powerful God, we need a mediator. We need a mediator. Look, they experienced God showing himself to them, and they immediately said, oh, no, I want nothing to do with this. Moses, you go before Yahweh, and you speak then to us. They needed somebody to stand in the gap to bring the two parties together, somebody to represent them before God and somebody to represent God before them. They needed a mediator. Or hear it from Moses' words in Deuteronomy. If you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5, we don't have the time to go through the entire chapter, but read what it says in verse 4 and 5. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up to the mountain. They recognized their frailty, their sin, and God is holy and mighty. And so they needed Moses to stand in between them and God. And from this, this is where Moses is then the one who instructs them the rest of the law. Let's keep reading back in Exodus chapter 20. Let's read verse 22. It says this. And the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. Let's just pause right there. So if it caught your eye as you were reading it, or caught your ear rather, it should spark something in your mind. What you have here is a repetition of verses of, of commandments one and two, right? Thou shalt not have any other gods before me, and thou shalt not make for yourselves an idol. And so what we have here is the same way, right, chapter, sorry, chapter, verses, the first four commandments had to do about how we relate to God, how they were supposed to relate to God, and the last six were how they were relate to others in response to how much they love God. Then this is just a setup for everything else that's going to be shared with the, with the laws that are to come. That you're supposed to, that it's about how we're supposed to relate to God and how we're supposed to relate to others. And so then we keep reading. Now we read starting in verse 24. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. So what's happening here? Idols, altars, what is God getting at here? Well, it's the first thing we talked about, having no other gods before him, right? God is desiring for his people to worship him alone. But he also doesn't want them to miss the fact that he's telling them, he's instructing them, here's how to do it. Here's how to worship me. God gets to determine how he chooses to be worshipped. 
We don't get to do that. God gets to determine. And so he tells them, here is what we find out. These are specific instructions. So let me just go right into it. The very first thing is, or the second thing, rather, is simplicity. In order for us to approach a holy and powerful God, we need to come in simplicity. Let me just really quickly read for you verses 24 and verse 25. He says, and an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice it on, your, on it, your burnt offerings and your peace offerings and your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. So here's what God is getting at here. He's contrasting how he desires his people to worship him compared to the pagans that were around them as they were worshiping their idols. And the very first thing he says is, hey, when you build your altars, make them out of the earth and out of the stone. Out of the stone. Why? Because the pagans around them, you know what they would do? They would build these elaborate altars for their gods. They would shape it and craft it and fashion these expensive and ornate like stones and make them high in order that they could appease their gods. Yahweh, God says, but you, Israel, my people, I want you to create an altar for me from the earth, from stones, from the raw material that I give you. Because his desire not was that we could fashion something so beautiful and steal the praise. God is saying, no, let me be great. And let the altar you build be simple. Simple. Let me just be a little bit open with you guys here this morning. As I was preparing for the sermon, this past week or week and a half has just been utterly chaotic. I'm talking about long days, 6 a.m., 10 p.m., like one thing after the other. Last week, it was my son's birthday. Praise God. I got to celebrate him and enjoy that time. But then after that, I realized, man, there's so much stuff going on. I got to prepare for this sermon. I got to help with student ministry. I still got to do online ministry. We were in the process of trying to get all these things done for our home to get it sold this past Wednesday. On Thursday, I had to make sure that we were, like, getting all of the stuff in order to move on Friday. Then we moved all day Friday, and then on Saturday, I realized, oh, I didn't even do my homework for the class that I'm taking for seminary, and I was just panicking. I was panicking because I had not prepared for this sermon as I had would, as I have done in the past, like what I would have wanted. I was so afraid. But let me tell you why I was afraid. I wish I could say I was afraid because I'm bringing the word to God's people. I was afraid that, I love you, Pastor Jason. (laughs) But I was afraid that he's given me an assignment and I was going to blow it out the water. I was going to fail. That... I was going to be a hindrance to the ministry because I, was, I wasn't going to deliver the word the way I should have. 
And as I was preparing, I was praying through it, God just reminded me. He said, man, maybe if you did create something so beautiful and so ornate, people would give you the praise and not me. He says, come, give me the raw material, the raw stuff. Come as you are. I share that because this is what I believe. For many of you here, many of you that are at home, you need to hear this. God doesn't want you to manufacture your praise to him. He doesn't want you to feel like you need to polish yourself up, that you need to fashion it in a certain way, build yourself up, keep up appearances, and put on a facade God is saying, come to me as you are, raw, real, uncut. That's the worship that is pleasing to me. I mean, Jesus talks about this. In the New Testament, Jesus, he condemned, like he says to the religious leader, he says, don't let your prayers be long and, and, and with empty words. And he gives them the Lord's prayer. He says, here, just there's a few lines to pray. Don't try to dress yourself up and, 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 you know, make your works be shown to other people so that they can see your good works. No. I believe, this is what I believe. I believe there are many of us here this morning that you need to hear this. You need to hear that God is not pleased by your performance. He's not pleased by you trying to have everything together. You need to come as you are. Come as that uncut stone and let God be the one to shape you. So not just a mediator, not just simplicity, but purity. If we're going to approach a holy and powerful God to come into his presence, we need purity. It requires purity. Now, verse 26, let me just read it real quickly. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Now, it's kind of weird. It's kind of an awkward text to get through, but we got we to gotta understand it. I get it. There's some children that are in the room, children there at home. And I have to say, right, we're just going to keep it PG, okay? You guys can fill in the gaps. Remember, Yahweh God is trying to contrast how they were to worship, Israel's to worship, versus the pagans and their gods and their idols. And so what does he say? He's, like these, these pagans and these idols, what, uh, what they would do is on their altar, the way that they would worship is through obscene, immoral, impure acts. You can fill in the gaps. Yahweh God says, I don't even want you to have a hint of that in your worship to me. To the point where he's even saying, even when you go up these steps, I don't want them to be able to look up your robe. And we find out later in the law that he gives the priests these special undergarments in order that this wouldn't happen. So what is Yahweh God trying to get at here? It's purity. It's purity. Why? Because again, he is a holy God. And this is what I want to say to some of us here this morning. Maybe you came in this morning and you're just going about what you normally do, going through the motions because this is what church is. 
And you forgot to recognize that God is a holy God. And you need to have reverence, the fear of the Lord for him. If he's a pure and holy God, sin cannot be in his presence. You can't just waltz in. 1 John 1.9. I love this promise from Scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, meaning he'll do it time and time again. And he's just, meaning he's in right standing. He's the one who can do it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what, how, how, how do we approach God in worship? Confess your sins. You know, Jesus said it this way. He said, many of them, the, talking about the Pharisees and the religious elite, he said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. Is that you this morning? Is that you at home? You're just going about through the motions because you know this is what you do every Sunday. God wants you to approach him as a holy God. You need to confess your sins. Don't just waltz into his presence all willy-nilly. So not only do we need a mediator, not only do we need to come in simplicity and in purity, but the very last one is in order to approach a holy and powerful God, in order to get into his presence, there needs to be a sacrifice. In verse 24, it tells us this, an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. So what is he getting at here? This is what he's getting at. He's saying that this altar that you build, as good as it is, what's also important is the sacrifice you make on it. Again, contrary to the pagans, they were doing human sacrifices. Instead, for Israel, he said, hey, here are these offerings you were, you were to make. An animal is going to be presented before me in your place. This burnt offering, what was it? Right, God is an all-consuming fire. He is just. Sin cannot be in his presence. So this burnt offering would be laid on the altar and it would be utterly consumed. And this is the wrath of God. It, it had to be poured out on something and it was this animal in their place. The peace offering, what is that about? Well, in their time, they would lay an animal on the altar to be sacrificed and many times it was in order that two parties could come together and they would actually share a meal. They would be reconciled to one another. And so even here, in this sharing of the sacrifices, God is saying, look, I care about how you relate to me and I care about how you relate to other people. That your sins would be paid for and that there would be reconciliation. And so let's just sum this up really quickly. In order for us to enter into the presence of God, it requires those four things. A mediator, purity, simplicity, and last, sacrifice. But here's the thing. God laid down the law. He showed them 
Here's how you're going to do it. Newsflash, you don't got to look far. Look a few chapters. They fail to meet the requirements. They sin time and time again. They fail time and time again. And Moses, the mediator himself, he fails. He sins. God, what is the hope? (laughs) What is the hope for them, for us? For the sake of time, y'all know it. (laughs) Sunday school answer. Jesus. Jesus. What is the most famous Bible verse, John 3, 16, says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But how many of us know verse 17? If you don't, turn with me really quickly. Let's, let's look at what John three sixteen says. Uh, Verse 17, sorry. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That this world would be saved through him. What does this mean? It means that Jesus came to do for you and for me what we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus Christ came. On our behalf. Jesus Christ is the media. We don't got time. If you have, you can write it as a reference. But look at 1 Timothy 2.5. Jesus Christ is the mediator. There's only one mediator between God and men. The man Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived the simple life. Look at Philippians 2. It talks about Jesus emptying himself. Taking on the form of human likeness. Humbling himself even to the point of, uh, humbling himself to obedience to the point of death, even death upon a cross. Jesus Christ is the only pure one. Look at 2 Corinthians. It talks about how Jesus Christ, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, in order that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Finally, Jesus is the sacrifice. Ephesians 2 says it plainly and clearly. In Christ Jesus, we who are far off can draw near through what? The blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't know the gospel, this is the gospel. This is the good news that God sent his son Jesus in a simple form. as a baby, and he lived the pure life, the life that we could never live, fulfilling all the righteous requirements. And Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, atoning for our sins. And he, he went to the grave. He died, but he didn't stay dead. Jesus rose from the grave, having victory over sin and death, and he ascended into the Father where he is right now, interceding on our behalf. As the mediator. And when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work, 
you can be reconciled back to a holy God. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to invite the band to come. There's going to be this time of response. We already recognize we need a mediator. His name is Jesus. But let me just give a few, just a few application points for you. Simplicity. Some of you here this morning, you need to hear this. God is not impressed by your performance. By your just trying to keep up appearances. God wants the real you, the raw you. What that means is this is an opportunity to come and receive prayer. You don't have to keep it all together. Let the people of God pray for you. Man, I get it. You know, sometimes it's, it's easy to think like, I just don't have it in me to raise my hands. Then what do you have it in? What, what is in you? Because maybe there's something that the Lord is saying to you. You just need to be obedient in. Purity. Again, we can't just waltz right into the presence of God. He is a holy God. Confess your sins. The promise is that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And finally, here's what I want to say. Sacrifice. We have this baptism pool right here. One of the best ways of sacrifice is to step into the pool. Because here's the thing. What what does it symbolize? This is an identification of us saying, man, Jesus, I, I identify with your sacrifice. Jesus died on our behalf, paying for the penalty of our sin. And then he rose. We come out of the water. He rose from the dead, having victory over sin and death. And we get to claim that same victory. We get to be reconciled back to our Father. So I'm just going to invite you. I'm going to actually invite you, if you're able, to stand with me. If you're at home, I'm going to encourage you. You're called to respond as well. This is the time. This is the moment where God is calling you to respond. Jesus is your mediator. Come simply. Come purely. Offer your sacrifice to him this morning. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, that it's because of what you've done for us that we can be reconciled back to the Father. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for every heart, for every soul here in this room that's at home, that's at work, wherever they're joining from, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would stir it in their hearts right now in this moment, response to you. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray.
Amen.